All right. How you guys doing? So, um, welcome to the Remnant. My name is Todd. I'm pastor here. We are in, I told you guys last week I lied to you. Let's just be real. I told you I wasn't a great pastor. I lied to you. Uh, how did I lie to you? Well, at least I told you I lied to you. What happened was we had two... I told you last week was the end. It was the end of the series, and then I just lied to you because that's not the case. Um, next week, you're going to get to hear the man, the myth himself, Luke, preach. So don't get, where's Zach? Who was the one that was like, when was Luke? Get? Oh, Josh. There he is. Hey, your wish comes true. So next week, we'll, we'll hear Luke kind of close up this series before we head into Easter. Um, but today, and I think he'll get how this kind of sets in, uh, God kind of put on my heart this as well a few weeks ago and I wasn't going to fit it into this so we're in the midst of a series called of kings and queens what does that mean it means that you were called and made to be a king or queen now that's pretty hip and cool now I didn't realize that young folk you know you guys know this kings and queens is hip and cool or nice Amber's like yes I do know that yeah it's a big it's a big thing I didn't know that I thought I came up with something unique and different apparently it's cool and hip right now so um yeah you're in the midst of that we're in the midst of that series so Two more weeks. This is my last time talking to you in this series, so I'm glad you're here. Maybe. <clears throat> um, I want to talk about something. You can go ahead and bring her up. So I'm about to bring my daughter up on, on camera for the first time. Don't give her a hand. She'll probably be scared. Uh, I'm going to come down off camera. You don't need to follow me too late. Hey, come here. Come here. If I start talking and baby talk, that's because I love her. So um, before I start... <laughs> You gonna grab my nose? Yeah. Before we start, I want to tell you. I don't. I don't know if you guys have noticed this little thing I've noticed since becoming a dad. Um, and it's the strangest little scenario. You got there's this thing called parent. I, I, I've come up with the name of the like child competition. Okay. So what I've noticed is if I randomly say anything about her, like, "Hey, Daisy, um, grabbed my nose today," and then a, inevitably one of your parents goes, "Yeah, well, my child grabbed my nose. My child grabbed my nose last week." And I'm like, oh, that's neat. You know, your child grab your nose. We're like, hey, she's really smart. Well, my kid's smart. She's already doing math. Or he's already doing math. I'm like, well, that's neat. Why? We have this strange competition. Y'all parents, it's like you don't have a word to say until I say something about my daughter. And then everybody's got something to say, right? <clears throat> and I notice kids that are older, your parents kind of stop doing that. But I promise you, you want I guarantee if you play sports, you're in choir or something, you're like, my parents don't really notice or say anything great about it, right? And then as soon as, as soon as you talk about, or some other parent is there, she's still in the scene here, um, then they'll start being like, oh, yeah, well, my son plays football, and he's this and that. And I still find that confusing. So as I do this, I'm curious what you guys are thinking in your head already, because you got the child competition thing. <clears throat> parents love their kids so much. That's the truth, right? Um, and here's the thing. Even if you were in this room and you didn't have the greatest of parents, isn't it funny that you intrinsically, that means inside, deep down, know what it is to have, you know what good parents are. We know what the idea of, you know, you know how you know this? Because it, why does it hurt so bad? Why does it hurt so bad if you didn't have good parents, if you don't in your heart know what it is to have good parents, right? So I think that's interesting. <clears throat> and Kids, I think this whole child competition thing deep down, it's kind of making a joke about it, but it comes from the fact that parents love their kids, right? They adore their kids. They, they want to talk about their kids. They're proud of their kids, all that kind of stuff. I brought Daisy up here because anybody that knows me, I love kids. I've been told I was good with kids. I didn't believe that because I just talked to them, but apparently I was okay with kids. But I remember a, a moment, two moments stand in mind when I, when I had her. One was when she was born. Okay, 
Now, I'm not the type that goes down and gets all up in the business, okay? I was, yeah, that's funny. I'm up at the top, all right, of the head, uh, of the head, like a horse or something. Anyway, I'm up here. I don't want to see it. So all of a sudden, there's nothing, and then there's this child. And there is a phrase. I love English. I love literature. And it's kind of this phrase that says, I'm undone. Have you ever heard that before? And in that moment, I knew that I was undone, right? Like, I was, it was, things are different. It was changed. The other time was I, I kind of found my niche here as a dad. Is I'm pretty good at putting her to sleep. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. She's so bored that she goes to sleep. It doesn't matter. But I'm putting her to sleep, and she's in this place between half asleep and not. And I have her in my hand, and I, I, it's the strangest thing. And she reached up in the dark and grabbed my face right here, like a, like in a, just to like make sure I was there. right? Just it's the, If you don't have a kid yet, trust me, I didn't get this either, and I used to think this was corny, but it happened. She reached up in the middle of the night, grabbed my face, and that's all she did. She just put her hand here, didn't grab my nose like she did, right? Right? Yeah, he's sleepy. And in that moment, I, I remember saying, I said, I love you so much, right? <laughs> I love you so much, right? Daddy's here. I'm not going anywhere. Because she's in the dark. She wants to make sure I'm still there. Even though I'm holding her, she needs to reach out. She still does this. She cries in the middle of the night, come in, she'll reach up and grab my face. It's the strangest thing. And I, I don't know why, but I think there's a part of her wanting to know, is he still here? Is he still in the room? Right? I just use you as a prop. What do you think? Is that okay? Okay. Now you can give her a very silent hand. <laughs> nice. It was like a... There you go. Thank you. <clears throat> I was going to hold her up here and talk some more, but she's getting big and my arm was hurting. <laughs> but you saw my daughter, and one of the things I realized, and I've said this a few weeks ago, months ago, and you're probably tired of me hearing about but this, but this having a kid thing, people told me this, but I didn't believe it. It changed my entire life. And a lot of you out there, I promise you, if you're a guy, girl, it doesn't matter. You are not going to be, you, <laughs> I can imagine Todd in the crowd listening to me. And I would go, yeah, this is nice. This is cool, but I'm not actually connecting because I'm like, I don't have a kid, whatever, right? <clears throat> it's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. And I remember sitting there, and I, and I said this as well, when, when she was handed to me, apparently they do this in the hospital, uh, and I remember out loud saying, I said, you know, love her so much. And then Mandy says, yeah, isn't it funny that God loves you that much? And out loud, I've said the story. No joke. I instantaneously said, habit, my real thoughts said that's not possible. I preach on Sundays, and in my heart I realize the truth is that I don't really believe God loves me even as much as I love Daisy. Because what do I mean by that? Because my mind, if I'm really honest, tells me I would never do anything to hurt her, ever. Well, you're going to spank her someday. Yeah, but it's, it doesn't feel the same. Not the same way I view God. I don't view, I will never hurt her. I'm never going to say, this is for your good. I'm disciplining you. And throw her in a corner and lock the door. I'm not going to take away the things she loves most just to teach her a lesson. But that's the way that we talk about God. Let that sink in. I have a feeling, many of you in this room, whether you admit it or not, you believe you love better than God because you wouldn't do to your child what God has done to you. You see, we live in this world where, where our faith is based around how, well, if we are good enough, then God won't punish me and God will give me what I want. And there's, that, that's just where this leads. And if I'm good enough with religion, 
then maybe he'll hold me and tell me he loves me. But at the end of the day, when I'm crying too much, he's going to let me go. I want you to envision me holding her. Let's say, okay, and I, you guys see me, and she just grabbed this, and I throw her on the floor because, I, hey, don't grab that. You should know better. Every, some of your eyes are like, oh, you're right, right? You'd call the police probably. Half you'd leave, which you should. Okay, how about if she used the bathroom? Like, gosh, you smell. How can you not know how to use the bathroom already? You're disgusting. You're not my daughter. Okay, how about when she's three? How about when she's three? If she's three and she doesn't know how to walk anymore, right? Or she doesn't know how to walk yet, do I just go, you know what? You should know how to walk. Of course not. Of course not. But yet we view that God treats us that way. You know, in the Old Testament and in, in times before this, the idea of an heir meant a lot more than it does now. It wasn't just even your child. Your heir was the most important thing, right? You've heard the story. King Henry VIII literally started a whole new church just so, right, he could justify having an heir. Because he didn't realize, you know, apparently science tells us, guys, that we determine the sex, by the way, heads up. If, if you believe science, whatever. But he created a whole new, it was that important to him to have an heir, This idea that an heir is how we pass our bloodline on. It's who we leave our things to. They carry our name. They, that's the way that we live forever, right? In a way, as our heirs is who, who our child is is born, and, and they carry on our lineage and all those things. And, I, and when I talk about these things, I almost didn't want to call it heirs because, again, you long-term Christians, you know everything. And you're like, I've heard this before. But think about, I don't know why you go, but yeah, that's what you do. Let me ask you this. Let that sink in. If it's ridiculous of me to drop Daisy on the ground because she grabbed my microphone, to slap her in the face because she grabbed my face, to yell at her when she doesn't listen to me, because, right? Why is it ridiculous that I get mad at her for not listening to me? Anyone? Right now, I talk to her, I say, hey, I want you to take that spoon and clean it off and put it away. Why is that ridiculous? She's a baby. Okay, what does that mean? She doesn't know better. She can't understand me. She's learning, right? She knows more now than she did when she was first born. And my hope is she knows more at age three than she knows now. But even at age three, am I going to treat her like a 20-year-old? Why do we view God as different than that? You know, Jesus gives this analogy once in the Gospels where he says, it's not going to be on the screen. Trust me, it's there. Look it up. He says, right, what good father, when his son asks for a piece of bread, will give him a stone? Right? And his point is saying, he goes, and if you who are evil do these things, how much can love your child? How much will your heavenly father love you? So sit, stay with me for a second, because it's going to mess with some of your theology. You're stuck in this world. It's been a thing that's come up a lot lately. This idea of church, this discipline, and God's going to discipline those he loves and spare the rod and spoil the child, blah, blah, blah. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. There, that is not the point of the analogy. The point of the analogy is not to scare you. What, God, what Jesus was trying to make you understand then in the context is why, if, why, how do we possibly think we love better than he does? How do we possibly think that? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I believe God would do that to me. 
That God, when I do stuff wrong, he's going to drop me and kick me across the room and let go of me because, hey, I messed up. And that's actually strengthened by a lot of the teachings we're given. Because people take things out of the context of the entire Bible. They, don't, they take it out and they tell you things like that. God chastises those he loves. Do you know that verse is not meant to scare you but to encourage you? How does that make you feel? Because the context is, right, you love your child. I'm going to teach my daughter not to put her finger in an electric socket. You know why? Because it will hurt her. So my, I might grab her hand and it will scare her. I might do this to it. I might say no very sternly. Not because I want to punish her for doing it, but because I want to protect her. But even if she sticks her finger in a light socket, am I going to take her, sit her in a chair, tie her to the chair, and say, you're going to stay here until you learn some discipline. And when you sit in the chair long enough, I'll forgive you. Does that sound like a good parent? Or maybe she sticks her finger in a light socket and I say, great, I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. Don't ask me for any food. Don't ask me for any money. And once you've been good for two weeks, I will give you the benefits of being my arrogant. I know that resonates with some of you, right? You sin, and it's the two-week rule. If I'm good for two weeks, then what? Maybe I can, he'll hear me again. Heirs were so important. And there's another side to this. You know, my daughter, this is, this is another weird thing. About, I'm a weirdo. I'm, if you haven't already known this, stick around long enough, you're going to see. Some of you literally go, yes to that, like, right? Amen. <clears throat> so every now and then I, I saw her, you know, I had to do taxes. Right? And Uncle Sam wants to know if I have a kid, which I find to be odd. Um, <clears throat> So I, I look, and she has my last name. That's a surreal thing. That, it, it sounds weird, but it's a surreal thing to look at this and go, this, like, this has my last name, right? It's like my stamp of approval, I guess, right? <laughs> and here's the thing. Someone could come and try to adopt her, steal her, adopt her, and they could change her name, but they can't change her name. They can't change that I'm her father. It's in her DNA. It's in her blood. Literally, she has my blood type, Right? <laughs> She's my heir regardless of how she feels, regardless of what other people tell me. And that comes with, you know, and I'm going to teach her this, right? My goal is that comes with a responsibility. Some of y'all parents, I'm going to flip this for a second. You go up and you worship God, amen, amen. Do you treat your own kids like heirs? Do you? Do you treat your own kids the way you want God to treat you? If God treated you exactly how you treated your children this week, would you be happy? What if the standard you put on your children was the standard God put on you? Would that be a free, a freeing faith? What if I put it up on the screen for everyone to see? Would you be ashamed? If you have your Bibles, we'll get to this. All of this will wrap up. Trust me. Stick around. I got you, David. I'll connect it. You don't believe me. I got you. Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, my favorite gospel. Oh, Emma's not here to make fun of me. Ah, you can tell her I use this. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. When you got it, say, I got it. Nice, one person. You just looked at the screen. That's fine. <clears throat> Guys, wake up. Dance. You want me to dance around? I will start throwing. Why'd you say no, Jason? <laughs> wake up. This is good stuff. Listen. Verse 12. In this section, it talks about Jesus coming. It says, Jesus went to his own people. They rejected him. What does that mean? The Jewish people, he went to them first, right? Many of them rejected him. It doesn't mean every single one, but many of them rejected him. At that point, okay, we can't talk about that. That's race. It's a fact. 
It's not about race. It's about his own people. It's no different than anything else, his own people. And then it says this, but to all who did receive him, capital H, who's him? Jesus Christos. Yes, Jesus. He gave them the right to be children of God. Stop. That's just cool words, right? That's just poetic. Do you think God's intelligent enough Right, that he knew what he's talking about when he inspired the biblical authors. Do you think this was an accident? i got to think of a word here. What can I use to get them? How about children? No, he understands that you and I know what children mean. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, this is so good, David, you're going to love this, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. I already can tell you don't get it. Me either. Go back to verse 12. Stay with me, Zach. Come on. You're always making fun of me. But to all those who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe his name, 13, let's go. Stay with me. Who were born not, I mess with him all the time. He's very, he's a bully. Who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. How beautiful is that? It doesn't matter where you, what, who, what your last name is. It doesn't matter if people... Uh, don't want it to be true. It doesn't matter even if you at times don't believe it to be true. What it's saying is here, by the will of God himself, your faith in him and by the will of God, you have become children of God. Right there in the beginning of the gospel. What do you put at the beginning? You're in school. If you're a good writer, what do you do? The attention grabber. Come on, gosh, did anybody pay attention in school? Come on, Peyton. Anyway, (laughs) just... I'm just calling names out today. It's the only way to get you awake because then you're afraid I'm going to say your name. Who's next? Who's next? No, AJ, you always get your name said. Anyway, who were born not of blood. But I want to say that right off the bat because we have to establish this fact. If you're in the room and you're a Christian, and even if you're not, that's cool. We'll talk in a little bit. You should still listen. If you're in the room and you're a Christian, it doesn't matter what you think. When you put your faith in Christ, you are his child. And if, if I've, I tell you guys right now, I held her and I looked at you and said, by the way, she's no longer my child. Does that make it true? Of course not. That's why you're calling the police. Random father kicks child physically and symbolically out of his life, right? You're not my child. It doesn't matter if I chose that to be true. It doesn't matter if she doesn't believe that to be true. She is my child. I would never do that, though. You have got to, today is so important. On the, on the surface of this message, it's going to seem so simple, I promise. But that's only because you're not allowing yourself to think about how this affects your theology. I'm going to give you a clue to the list. You're going to see it later. Your theology has to start with the fact that in Christ you are his child. It has to. Because if it doesn't, everything else changes. The... the, the the view of your relationship, the view of justification, sanctification, all those fancy theological words, it changes if you don't recognize the fact and accept the fact that you are his child even more so than she is mine. But to all who did receive him, to all who accepted it, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of a man, but of God. I'm going to jump to the, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Romans, great book. 
Okay, and I'm doing one and two, not because it's my favorite verse, though it is, but because I want to connect what we just said with this. This is in the same chapter. You're going to love this. You're going to love this, Brandon. Who's next? Who am I going to say? I'll tell you who, what name I'm not going to say because he will get angry. I'm not going to say it. It's Kelsey's husband. Anyway. <laughs> I didn't say his name. Romans. Chapter 8, verse 1, 2. There we go. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Corinth. See, I was seeing if you're paying attention. Allie, it's Rome. It's called Romans. Anyway, therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. Let that sneak in. Go back. Quit trying to jump the gun, kid. Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. Who are those in Christ Jesus? His children, right? No condemnation. What's condemnation? What's condemnation? I can't. You're literally speaking a foreign language. What? Shame is one. Yeah. Shame comes from condemnation, but condemnation itself is not shame, right? Shame, shame is a, typically a uh, byproduct of it. What's condemnation? Maybe you don't know. Huh? Somebody Google that. I know you got your phone up probably looking at the draft or something, right? Google the word condemnation. I'll wait all day, Jill. Where's your phone? I'm just kidding. Therefore, no condemnation. All pining? What? I, dude, you are saying, you are speaking Chinese. How did he do? What are you saying? <laughs> Fault finding. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, it leads to that. What do we got, Peyton? Oh, that's good. The act of very strong disapproval. The act of, right, sentencing someone to punishment. Weird. But I thought God chastised those he loves. He does. We'll talk about that. Therefore, no condemnation now exists. It doesn't exist. Why? Because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jump down to verse 12 in the same chapter. So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For those in the room that aren't Christianized, that's cool. I didn't know what that meant either because you're like, I'm already flesh. It means that part of you that's evil. The sinful side of you, the hateful, lustful, mean, cruel, jealous side of you. So then, brothers, we're not obligated to live according to the flesh. <laughs> Bro, you can, okay. for if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. I'm just going to read my own. If you live according to the flesh, <clears throat> where are we at here? Start over. Stay with me. You with me? Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put, the death, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Yes, ladies, it's not the patriarchy. You, it means daughters as well. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Underline that if you're underlining. That's important. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So, hey, we're going to have a, we're gonna have a uh, comparison. Sometimes you got to do this. you got to wake people up. Wake up. All right, stay with me. Listen, I've already annoyed a lot of guests. That's okay. You, gotta, you might as well figure out who I am now because you, you're just going to be surprised later. <clears throat> so on the one hand, we have this spirit of slavery. What does the spirit of slavery do? It leads us into fear. What's the comparison? But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom, <laughs> man, I just, I, it's not even in my notes, by whom. That implies a person, 
David. Isn't that crazy? Who's the person? Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. Woo! No one? Okay. Spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I've said this before in case you didn't know. I'm about to teach you something new because somebody out here didn't know it. Abba means daddy. It's the closest word. By whom we cry out, Daddy, Father. So on the one hand, we have this idea that there is a spirit of slavery. And this spirit of slavery leads to fear and anxiety and misery and weight. And then on the other side of it, compared to it, we have what? A spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Daddy, Father. Well, I didn't have a good father, but you know what one is. You know why? Because it's hardwired into your heart. The Spirit himself testifies together, verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. What does that mean? It means that even those moments when you doubt, if you put your faith in Christ, you know what I mean. I'm going to talk to some of the Christians here today. You know that feeling where it's like, man, I may be this, I may be garbage, you may not love me, but I'm still allowed in the house. It's that part inside of you that knows, right? Your spirit's in agreement with him. I'm his and he's mine, even if it doesn't feel that way. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God. Oof. Co-heirs with Christ. Heirs of God. So an heir was, if a king had an heir, who becomes king when he dies? What? You guys, you're mumbly today. What? You know what's funny I've noticed about preaching, by the way? When I don't want anyone to say something, I can understand them clear as day. They will scream out, yes! Or, but when I'm like, hey, question. <laughs> right? It's just the funniest thing. Anyway, if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I know you know this, right, Emma? You know this. I'm going to teach you anyway because you don't know it. Listen, in your heart, co-heirs with Christ. Now, when I'm, part of you is going to think this is blasphemous until you realize I didn't write this. Who is Christ? He's the Son of God, right? He is the Messiah. What sort of rights did that come with? Well, the Father looked at him and said, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Co-heir means equal. It's blasphemous, Krista. What I'm saying is blasphemous. Co-heir with Christ. There's a point here. Does that mean you need to go out and start proclaiming you're the Messiah? No. Okay? That's not what we're saying, but, you, but quit being afraid of that, you chickens. Quit being afraid to tell people the truth of who they are because you're afraid they might twist it. That's not your job. Your job is to know the truth, tell the truth. Co-heirs with Christ, it says it right here. You are, because of Christ and through Christ, because of the trade that happened at the cross, when he looks at you, he says, that is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. That is my son with whom I am well pleased. What if I mess up? Did I stutter? Do you believe that God looks at you the same way he looked at Christ? I know you don't. Because if you did, you wouldn't live in fear. But if you're living in fear, what are you actually living in? Spirit of slavery. We are so scared of freedom. You are scared. Some of you in the room right now are uncomfortable with what I'm saying. You're scared to death of freedom because, well, if we're free, what if they walk away from God? And what if they do this and what if they do that? It was never dependent on you and the, making them afraid and making them hold on to God. It's always been about him holding on to us. If you're new here, one of the stories that I tell a lot, and 
person's in this room, and I had someone come from another church, and they went and said, hey, I'm going to this church, meaning here, and the, their, their quote was, well, you know what, the remnant just takes grace too far. <laughs> I stick with that all the time, but it's, it's funny, but it's not, because I wish that that was, was an abnormal thought in the church today, but it's not. It's not. It's not an abnormal thought. The remnant takes grace too far. What is that really saying? That the cross wasn't all sufficient? Well, you can't forgive, Todd. That's too radical. You got to follow the process of discipline. I get it. Church discipline's a real thing, right? What's the goal of it? To scare someone enough? To hit them enough times with the whip? No. If, ch- if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, seeing, and this is important, remember now we're talking about this one, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. This idea, the problem of pain is all set right here. C.S. Lewis called it that, the problem of pain. You ever wonder why do bad things happen in this world? Why does God allow it to happen? God doesn't, God didn't make the mess. We did. He's going to fix it, but he's trying to give us an opportunity to come home, to turn away from it. A lot of our suffering in this world as Christians, and what he's saying here, this is hard to hear. If you're an actual Christian, you will suffer. I'm going to say this again. If you're a Christian, you will suffer. I'm not even talking about disease or all those types of things. That's, a, that's not the kind of suffering it's talking about here. It's talking about the kind of suffering that comes from persecution, that comes from not fitting in, that comes from being looked at as different and weird, that comes from being hated. Guys, it's already happening. You can't even say the truth anymore. If you call sin, sin, you are hateful. You are prejudiced. Right? They've stopped listening to the gospel because if you tell someone that what they want and what they do isn't right, if you essentially remind them they're not God, then you deserve to be canceled. You deserve to be cast out. You deserve to be hated. You deserve to be killed. You don't deserve to be forgiven. One of the the biggest things that I've wrestled with in Shermani could tell you this, other people that I'm close to can tell you this, that it's such a, this is weird. This is how deep shame can be. So I've made mistakes in my life. That probably surprises you. Um, I've made mistakes. I've sinned. I've done big, bad things, right? Especially in the church world. And there are times that I look and I say, one of my biggest fears is that you guys will treat her poorly because you don't like me. I'm dead serious. I've already noticed this. Sometimes she doesn't get the attention, the love, even being seen that other kids do in this church because she's my daughter. If you don't believe me, that's a fact. You would think people are like, whoa, the pastor's daughter gets loved more. And that's not true because I ruffle feathers. I make people upset. And so then it spills onto her. I'm scared to death that she will have to suffer because she is my heir. That's, that's part of it. When, we, when people know whose father we are, or whose father, whose child we are, who our father is, 
They hate him, right? Jesus said that they will hate us. The Bible is filled with this reminder, not that life, guys, we would be walking through the fire regardless. It's just a matter of do, do we want to walk through it alone? And then this verse, verse 18, in the same section, right? He says, seeing that we suffer them and we be glorified with him in verse 18. One beautiful verse, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, change it. Let's say, who's got a job that is physically exhausting? Mentally exhausting, emotionally exhausting, yeah. Do you sometimes you like, why, raise your hand if you sometimes go, why do I do this? Right? Let me give you an example. Good, everyone, you're being honest. What if I told you that in two years you were going to get $1 billion if you can just make it? Would it change the way you looked at your job? I'm serious. If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, let's, I know, pretend that someone's like, hey, all you got to do is make it through two years and I'm going to give you $1 billion, I'd be waking up going, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'd be excited because the end result makes all this junk. You know when Bob, the jerk at the coffee place, takes the last bit of coffee and he doesn't refill it in the office? You ever have that? You know, you look over and Bob's going, <laughs> I'm like, you son of a, right? Instead, I'm going, Good to see you, Bob. <laughs> right? Because I know what I am. And then part of me sometimes is going to look at Bob and go, <laughs> Bob, I can buy all the coffee I want soon. Right? I'm a billionaire in two years. Let's compare the same thing. There's a reminder here that in that suffering, in the hardness, in the difficulty, that we have to remember that whose children we are and whose heirs we are. And if we are heirs with God, guess what that means? We're going to get the keys to the kingdom. That when we go home, there's going to be a day when all of this doesn't matter. The beautiful line from Revelation where he says, right? I will wipe away every tear for there will be no more crying or pain or death anymore. For behold, the new has come. Welcome home. This is just a blip on the radar. It doesn't feel that way. Speaking of AJ, one of the things that's funniest thing, and it's not even my analogy, Francis Chan, and I, I didn't have a rope. Francis Chan does this with a rope, but I did it with him, and it changed his life, and maybe it can you. You know, eternity is wall to wall. Life is this much. If you let that sink in, You know, oftentimes when I'm saying these things, the kids are like, good Lord, I just want to get back to TikTok, right? If you recognize the fact, if I could have learned when I was your age the truth that I'm telling you and lived my life with purpose, I lived as an heir because the world's going to tell you you're not, right? School's going to tell you, school's a jungle. They're going to tell you you're not an heir. They're going to tell you you're a monster. And if you love Jesus, it gets even worse, right? You get made fun of. And you notice that when you're little kids, it becomes more becomes more obvious. And as you get older and as an adult, it's really subtle. It's like, oh, you're a church person. <laughs> but when you're a kid, you're like, ha-ha, you're stupid. you like Jesus, right? <laughs> it's the same thing. No one ever heard that? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Paul's making a point here, and I want to connect it all. He starts by saying there's no condemnation in you. Why is there no condemnation? Because you are not slaves. You are children of God. You are heirs. Does Does you know, to, it's kind of neat. Daisy's to the age now where she knows who I am. And that's neat. Because there's expectations that come there, like that. She don't care that you're all here. She wants to grab my nose. She's going to grab my nose. Right? Because I've never, she hasn't been taught to believe that if she grabs my nose, I'm going to slap her in the face. I'm just her daddy, and she has access to my nose. All right? 
and she got sharp claws, and I still don't chuck her. I went to get a haircut, and the lady goes, you got a cat? There's a claw right here. That's a, that's a true story. I was like, yeah. No. no, I said no, and I just left it at that. So she's like, really? There's a scratch here. I was like, that's weird. Um, I'm protecting her even then. She has access to me. There's no condemnation because we're not slaves, we're children. And if we're children, we don't live in fear. Instead, we get to, I love it. It doesn't even have to say you don't live in fear. What does it say? It goes, if you have a spirit of slavery, you fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption. It doesn't have to say you're fearless. It just said you get to call God daddy. And the implication that I don't ever have to be afraid when my daddy is God. Why? And then goes on to say, what does that mean? Well, if we're children, we're also his heir. I love that. You're not just like the fifth in line to the throne. You're, you know, in the movies, the one that goes out and gets drunk because he's sad. No? No one's ever watched these kind of movies? Anyway, right? The troublemaker. We are next in line because of our big brother Jesus. We are the same. We are co-heirs with Christ. That's how he views us. I'm going to ask you a simple question, and I get it, you Christians. You've done it your whole life, and that's, this next question is going to, I'm going to, This can change your life, I promise you. I don't say that often. This can change your life if you answer this question in your head honestly. Don't yell out loud. I have to say that, see? What if you really believed that? What if you believed you weren't just a nameless ant in an ant farm, but you were the chosen heir to God? How would it affect your life? How would it affect when you're broken and you're sad and you're lonely? How would it affect when you mess up? I'm serious. Let that sink in. Even if you've never had a good father, remember what I said, you know what a good father is. If you were the favored child of God, you knew it. Somehow you, you just let yourself sink into that for just a moment. That of all the people, he's looking at you right now and saying, I am proud of you. I see you. I love you. You're my heir. Look at all these things I have for you. What would it do to your life on a daily basis? Yeah, I like that. I'd breathe. Yeah. Someone goes, "Ah." wouldn't you? Would you carry around that stress and anxiety and worry? No, because why? Because daddy's got you. If Todd, who is evil, is not going to kick my daughter across the room, won't a good father do even more? Because the truth is, as much as I want to protect her and take care of her, I don't have the power to do it against everything. That's an overwhelming, I'm about to cry, that's an overwhelming thought. That there'll come a time that I can't protect her. But God has the ability to protect us all the time, right? He is the perfect father. Because not only does he have the love, but he has the capability to do what I wish I could. Some of you are so angry. Some of you are even angry today as I'm saying this. You're mad. You're rolling your eyes. You want to get out of here. You know why? Because there's another voice that's telling you I'm, because, that this isn't true. Because if this is true, you feel shame. Because you know you're not living in the glory of who you are in him. But here's the beauty. Remember what I just said? If you put your faith in him, it doesn't matter if you go down to the dock. It doesn't matter if Daisy, Lord forbid, walks down. This is going to sound horrible. She become, became a prostitute. Lord forbid. She became a drug addict. She became a drunk. Do you think I'd stop loving her? Do you think that I wouldn't let her come home and say, Daddy, I'm sorry, I'm home? No, I'm going to take her, I'm going to clean her up, I'm going to buy her new clothes, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get her healthy. God will do the same for you. It's never too, never too late. 
A lot of times our anger is because it's cognitive dissonance. Fancy word. Look it up for later. Our brain can't comprehend the truth. The truth collides with our brain and it creates this discomfort. And that doesn't make it less true. We complicate this thing. Yes, there is a standard to be the heir. Right? We know this in the world. We see it in politics. People lose their career in politics because of a, t- a tweet they put out 10 years ago. Because with the role they have as an expectation to behave a certain way, we have that expectation. There are consequences, natural consequences, to not living as the heirs that we are. But you know what the biggest consequence is? It's not the stuff that happens to us. It's what happens internally. It's the shame, the fear, the guilt, the doubt, the loneliness, the brokenness, the things you try to constantly run from and cover with alcohol, drugs, sex, porn, all of the things you do to cover that. Because even those of you in the room who, who have your faith in Jesus, some of you have feel like you are so far gone that you don't try to come home. You just try to cover the pain. I've talked to people before that said, I've already messed it up. What does it matter now? I'm just going to do more, right? That idea, it's so backwards and twisted, but it's a real feeling. I'm already dirty. What does it matter? I might as well sit in the muck. Your daddy is waiting today for you to come home. He hasn't stopped loving you. Well, Pastor Bob told me that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who Pastor Bob, some dude named Bob's going to run across one of these messages and be so offended. The shoe fits, Bob. Anyway, <clears throat> I think that's one, you know, modern Christianity, there's, there's two extremes. Both are terribly, terribly wrong. One is the extreme, which true, most true Christians are scared. You are more scared of this one than the other. You are scared to death that people are going to take this freedom. I mean, they can go sin. Well, goodness gracious, if I tell people they're free, they're going to run around and sleep with all each other all the time and do drugs and snort coke. And I don't know why that's different than doing drugs. But the point is, you're going to do all of those things because i got to remind them. i got to keep them on the straight and narrow. No, you've just created a gross religion. The other extreme is the one you're comfortable with because it keeps you safe. And it makes sure that everything's orderly in here. Which means you don't really have to deal with junk. And that is, if I can scare everyone enough to believe that God is no longer my father if I sin, then, or no longer your father, then you'll do the good things I tell you and avoid the bad things I tell you. Tell me I'm wrong. You know I'm right. We use the stick of fear to motivate in Christianity. Fear is what brings a person to the Lord. You have to, there's a fear side of it. Listen, we'll talk in a little bit. Hell's a real place. And if you don't accept being his child, then you accept being the child of your father, as Jesus calls him. Right? And if you, hell, you don't have to believe me. Remember this eternity, this, this long? That's a, that's a long time in, in hell, too, in separation from God. That's real. But once you become a Christian, I don't believe fear should be the motivating factor anymore. Well, Todd, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Read the word. It's not the fear of me taking a giant stick and saying, I'm going to hit you in the head. It's awe. It is respect. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me those aren't the two extremes, and tell me which one you long-term Christians are more comfortable with, even though you're not more comfortable with it for yourself. Because it's miserable, isn't it? It is miserable. Uh, you know, <laughs> it happened in college a lot. You know, I probably am too real. I've been told that. Yeah, whatever. You know, I don't mean to be vulgar, but let's look. A lot of guys in here that love Jesus will know this one. Girls too. Okay, pornography is a real thing. It's dangerous. It messes with your head. It's a fact. Science is now catching up with what God's told us. Rewires our brain. But guys, you know, people, I remember in college talking to guys, you know, you mess up. 
you look at something, and then you feel dirty and gross and evil, and you hide for about two weeks. And if you can go two weeks, if you, then you're clean again. And then begins the cycle again, right? That sounds like a spirit of slavery. And it doesn't have to be pornography. It's just an easy one. It could be whatever else you feel guilty about. There is no condemnation. The thing I get most flack about as a preacher is when I preach there's no condemnation because you don't like that for anyone but yourself. There is no condemnation, period. Your theology has to start there. So, living as heirs. I'll give you this. Get you out of here early. Aren't you happy? I say that every time and then take 45 minutes on the list. So I shouldn't have said that. Some of the new people are like, 45 minutes? No, I'm trying to move. I'm trying to move here. All right, living as heirs. So they don't see that stuff, huh? They just see the name. Huh. Pretty neat technology. Still not on this thing, though. Anyway, living as heirs. Number one, rest in God's love. It's changing my theology to have my daughter. That story I told you, she still does. It just happened the other night. She starts squalling. It's a terrifying thing. I don't know what she's scared of, but I come running in there, and I, I put my hand down on her chest, right? And it's funny. Put the, the God, I can't believe I've used this word now, binky. Anyway, put this in her mouth, all right? I can't believe I admit that. But when I'm with her, I'm like, you want your binky? Anyway, I put that in her mouth, okay? And I'm holding it in her mouth, and I think that's it. And so a lot of times that is. She just, you know, she wakes up. So I let go, and she starts crying again. As soon as I, all I did, this just happened. I put my hand on her chest. Within 30 seconds, she goes to sleep. The other day this week, too, and I'm sure God was showing me this for this message. You know, she did the same thing, except I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm leaned over, my hand on her chest, and she, I just feel this. I can't see. It's dark. Apparently she has superhuman vision at night because I just feel this. She's making sure I'm still there. She can rest in her daddy's love. Can you? Not do you feel it all the time. Because part of rest is choosing to trust that he's not going to let go of me. Well, what if I mess up? What if I did the thing that, because sometimes we mess up and it has real world consequences, doesn't it? legal things, you know, sometimes we, we sin and, and we lose a marriage. I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen. And when those types of things happen, it feels like God let us go. Man, that's not true. How much worse would it be in the dark, in the cold, if he wasn't still holding on? You have to rest in God's love. Living as an heir means letting yourself, Sean said, <sighs> you can consciously choose to do that, believers. Brothers and sisters, I promise you, let, but you have to consciously go, he's not letting me go. Even the big muscular men in here, I'm not talking about anyone, Luke. Even guys like that, all right? Even guys like that, deep down, we may never admit it, we want our father to hold us and say, I'm proud of you. I'm not going to let go of you. I'm, I see you. I'm still right here. Rest in his love. You have to have an anchor verse, right, guys? I tell it, teach guys. You got to have a verse that reminds you. This is mine, by the way. My anchor verse is there's no condemnation in Christ because the law of Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. When the world tells me I've gone too far, when the world tells me I'm condemned, when the world sins, says I've outsinned grace, I hold on to what God told me. I will never, ever condemn you. I used to have verse 18 on my, on my truck dashboard. Because life was miserable. It was. I could go on and tell you that. You know, I thought about telling my testimony. That might be useful sometimes, the whole thing, because most of you don't know it. It's a crazy tale. 
Because it actually started once I knew Jesus. Everything before that was kind of like, oh, I'm a decent guy, you know? <laughs> Things, and then you know Jesus, weirdest thing. Suffering came. I had to learn. But I had that verse because it got me through to remember the, the sufferings I'm going through aren't worth comparing what's coming. Rest in his love. Do you rest in his love? Number two. Hey, do you rest in his love as much as you rest in your wife's love? Your husband's love? Your flesh love? That's why your life is chaotic. You have no anchor. Your anchor is a human being. And no matter how much a human being loves you, <laughs> right? You can't, you can't even love someone if you've put all that weight on them. It looks, that's why I can't stand, since we're talking about masks, I didn't bring up the gentleman. He makes me more angry than anyone. Because on the service, everybody's like, oh, look how much he loves his wifey. And he's over there, and he's like, she's literally, you know, he's suckling on her, and she's like holding him like a tiny, that's what it looks like to me. And while she goes home, she's crying and under the weight of trying to lead a life because you look like you love your wife when you really just love her to get love. A little, little frustration. <laughs> Let's bring it back. All right. Number two, <laughs> living his heirs, rest in God's love, quit. Anyway, number two, you can't out-sin being his child. This is important. You can't out-sin it. I never thought I understood this, okay? And listen, human parents are not the, they, they can't be your judge in this. They can't. If you don't have a child, that's okay. Think of your, I, I joked about it, if you love your dog more than anything, then let it be your dog. Whoever you love the most, start there. The best advice I can ever give someone on what it means to how God loves you is whatever thing you love the most, if you believe God loves you just that much, it'll change your life. But you can't out being his child. You can't. But you got to be his child first. You can't out being his child. Your actions don't change your DNA. Your actions don't change your DNA. He's holding on to you even when you let go of him. I don't get a cookie for telling you that. It's the truth. I've seen it in my own life. Number three, live like you are the heir. You know, um, we have a men's group. <clears throat> I don't even like calling it that because those can be. But we have a men's, uh, I don't know, really program okay, called Lionheart. And the, 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 the catchphrase or the phrase, the motto is be a king. You think this has been in my mind for a while? Yeah, be a king. And it becomes just this corny thing. It's on the coins we carry. But the idea is if you truly believed you were the king of your life, of your family, whether you're single or not, if you believed you were a king, how would, it, how would you change? How would you behave? If you were the firstborn son or daughter, if, God, if everybody looked at you and was like, oh, hey, isn't that, uh, isn't that God's daughter? Isn't that God's son? How would you behave? Would, it would you want to behave in a way that brought your father shame or a way that brought your father honor? Remember I told you there's two sides to this. We rest in being his heir, but being an heir comes with responsibility. Because when people look at us, they're going to judge our father based on who we are. Right? And by the way, we don't need to give him any more help to hate us as Christians. <clears throat> we don't. They hate us anyway. Live like you're the heir. What would that be like? Well, how confident would you be? 
when I live out of that, you ever do that? I feel like I'm like, <laughs> that's my confident walk. Anyway, <laughs> if you ever see me walking like that, you never have. I'm never confident. Anyway, <clears throat> you live like you're the heir. Would you be more confident when you go to work? Would you have more joy? Would, you, would it bother you as much when someone thought poorly of you? No, it wouldn't. And, and listen, I get it. You're not going to walk out of here today and all of a sudden live like an heir perfectly. It's not going to happen. But today can be the day that you start. You want me to show you how corny and nerdy I am? I have this written on my wrist. I've done this. You know, by the way, if you see people do that, they ain't the original. I'm the, I'm the OG doing that, okay? I wrote on here, what is, and I, this is embarrassing, but it says, be the king, play the king. It's from a, a clip from a show, but it reminds me to be who God has called me to be because I need the extra reminder. Who is my father? Sometimes you got to, I got to, you know, if I were a king and I walked in, do you, a good king, right? Do you think they always feel like being a good king, a good prince? I want to walk in and, you know, you think of the, the royalty in England. You think they want to walk in and go, no, sometimes they want to go and go, this life is terrible, right? But they can't because they understand the responsibility it has. It reminds me of who I am and what I'm called to be. Live like you are the heir. It will change your pursuit of holiness because it won't be I'm pursuing holiness to be good enough to be his child. It will be I pursue holiness because I am his child. Without the weight of fear, we can thrive. Number four. I told you I gave you a clue. I gave it to you early. Let your theology start with your identity as God's heir. And your theology has to first start, and this is for all the theologians. Of course it starts with your Christology. You like that? Who Christ is matters the most, who he is. But we're assuming here, you're a Christian, that you have a theology, so you've already put your faith in Christ. After that, it is so crucially important that you understand who you are in him. Because if you don't, this becomes pharisaical religion. It becomes a social club. You have got to stop doing things and reacting Some of you in here, I see you, and you are so hurt and so angry and so frustrated and so lost, and you act like it's just you and God against the world. That's not what he wants for his child. That's not what he wants for his son or daughter. You have got to start living as you are an heir. And if you start with your theology as God's heir, then if your spouse is a jerk, if your job is terrible, if life is hard right now, it will change the way you view those things when you realize That he hasn't forgotten me, hasn't turned his back on me, he doesn't hate me. I am his heir, which means what? I will work out all things for the good of those who believe according to my purpose. If his purpose is to bring you good, then as twisted as it seems, there's going to be something good on the other side of the suck. told you I'm not a good pastor. I shouldn't use the word suck. Stink. That's why this is so important. I told you it's such a simple thing. Then why are Christians not free? If this is so simple, co with Christ, if it's so simple, why are you not free? Why are you not free? Because this whole thing is simple. It's just much harder to let that sink in our, our fear and our shame and our doubt and our worry. But you have to start with the simple things. That's why I love Jesus. Guys, man, you want to be refreshed. Some of you, go read the Gospels. Remember who he is. He doesn't come up and meet people, lame people, and go, hello. Would you like to be justified and sanctified in me? Would you like to be put on a process of holiness in which you will become more like me and less like you? He just comes up and goes, do you want to be healed? You start simple. 
Just like I'm not telling Daisy, okay, honey, I'm going to sit you in the car. Go ahead and put her in and, uh, and drive and take on out of here. No. That would be ridiculous. Start with the simple. And some of you have been Christian so long, you think you're past this? Nah, you're not past it. Your theology always comes back to this. Let your theology start with your identity as God's heir. And if you go, what does that mean, Todd? Very, very simple. You ready? And he told us in Romans. How would God treat Jesus? Does that mess with anybody? Raise your hand if that messes with you. Dang, way more than I thought. Okay, good, I guess. Does it make you uncomfortable? Raise your hand if it makes you uncomfortable. All right, we're getting somewhere. Honesty. Good. (laughs) The truth's often uncomfortable. How did he treat Jesus? Well, there was only one good person. That's not true. All kinds of good people once they put their faith in him. There's been a transfer here. He took your sin and gave you his holiness. You think that's dependent on your actions? If it is, then the cross wasn't enough. Let your your theology start with your identity as God's heir. Now I'm going to connect the last two. It's not going to be on the list, but this is important. I'm going to talk to parents. You are showing your children how God loves them by how you love them. And it's heartbreaking for some of you in this room. You think because your kid doesn't come and complain to the world or doesn't tell everybody what's happening that we don't see it. You think because the bruises aren't outside, that the wounds are inside, that they're any less serious. That you claim to be an heir while treating your child like garbage. That you demand a love that you don't give. That you demand a grace that you don't offer. That's not living like an heir. That's living like a, the evil stepmother. The evil stepfather, right, from fairy tales. That's what, that's what you are becoming. Now, I'm not meaning to shame you, but some of you need to repent in the way you treat your children. And kids, since there's some in here, that doesn't mean go home and go, you're mean to me, don't treat me as an heir. That's you not being an heir either. Accept who you are, <laughs> okay? How do you treat your peers? How do you treat your mom? How do you treat your dad? Because they're a son or daughter of the king. Living like an heir is showing how you treat other people too. She's going to come play some music. I told you it was simple today. Next week, you'll get a much deeper theological treatise, I think. It'll be good. But this is so important. If there's one thing I wish I could teach people, like truly get some of you to understand, some of you arrogant Christians, I just want to come down there and just shake you and spin you and hug you and squeeze you until all the snottiness comes out of you, right? Because once I can get the snottiness out of you, maybe you would hear this, and it could change your life. In Christ, you are a child of God. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. No addendums. No small print. That's what you are. It said that. Yes or no? Did it say that? Now, whether or not you've had a good father or mother or whatever, you know what it is. That God loves you more than you love your child or more than you love your dog or whatever it is you love most in this world. God loves your husband, wife. God loves you more than that. In Christ, your child of God, simple as that. It's a fact, a beautiful, incredible, amazing, irrational, nuts fact. But it's still a fact. How would your life change? you believed that simple amazing truth spend a lot of time talking about God's grace 
a lot of time talking about his identity because it's so, so crucial for our faith. It's the difference between a burdened and dead and weary faith and a living life in which we follow the living God, the Messiah, the Christ, the hope of the world. We're about to enter into a time when we celebrate what he did for us. And one of the most amazing things he did for us was not just the forgiveness of sin because you'd still rack it up. It's the fact that he has made it so that we can look at him, look at God and say, Daddy, change your life. I've had people before, I'm not as bold as I look, right? In my own, the close friends I'll share, like my, I have fears and, and I doubt these truths at times, but, but any boldness I do have truthfully, the reason that, you know, I can argue with these people and at times stand up is because truthfully I've at least most of the time grasped this simple fact. I may get a lot of things wrong, but they can't take this fact from me. I know who my father is. Start living like that. Stop looking at it as I'm reading this book. I'm learning from my daddy. Stop thinking of it as like, I'm going to try to earn, you know, his approval. And just reach out and touch him. That's what prayer is. Thankfulness for what he did. Pour your heart out. And thank him again at the end, Right? Prayer is just you reaching out to touch your dad's face and say, are you still there? If you don't know Jesus, you probably, I can't imagine most of the time, because I don't think if you, there's a few types of people that reject Christ. Usually they fall into two camps, so the arrogant people and the hurt people. And I have a feeling if you're in this room today, you're not in the first camp. You're not the arrogant person. I think you're the hurt person. And even if it's you're the angry, hurt person, I think you're angry because you're hurt and you've been betrayed and, and life is, has been hard and Christ is just a name that people use to remind you you're not good enough, right? Christ is just the standard by which they can always point out how much of a screw-up you are. They lied to you. It's not Christ your heart's rejecting. It's this false religion. It's this false weight. It's the things that Jesus himself called out. You want to see Jesus get mad? Go look at what what he says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees when they created a religion that wasn't based around the Father, but was erased around these rules and these weights and these shame. So I'm going to tell you who he is today. He is your good, good Father. And he made everything perfect. He made us to be in relationship with him. And he said, you can stay in the house and you're going to be my heir and you get all of this. I even, in fact, I want you to rule it in my name when I'm not here. And you get all of this. And I'm going to come and we're going to walk together. And we're going to look and enjoy this. And he says, but here's the thing. I'm daddy. You're the son or daughter. You listen to me. I'll tell you what right and wrong is. And what we did was we rejected that. We said, no, I will be God. That's what we do when we say we know better than him. Sin is just refusing to accept that God is who he said he is. And when that happened, we were separated from him. We didn't want to live as an heir anymore, so we had to live out in this world. And we've been wandering around for thousands of years, we as humans, trying to find our purpose, trying to find our role, trying to find our identity in a world that tells us what we could be, but it never fills that hole because it can't change your DNA. 
So we try to find our way back to God. Maybe if I can, I, I'm good enough at this religion, I can, I can get back and I can be good. It's miserable because we can't do it. We can't change our DNA. We can't change the disease. We can change the symptoms. Hey, you want to take a cough drop for the cold, but we need someone to change what's inside. See, someone probably told you that sin is just all those bad things you do. It's not. It's backwards. They tell you, hey, if you fix the cough, you fix the headache, and you fix uh, the runny nose and all that stuff, you'll be well. And God says, I want to fix the sickness, and the symptoms will take care of themselves. What does that mean, Todd? Well, here's the fact. I told you they lied to you. Here, it doesn't start with you being good enough. It starts with you accepting you'll never be good enough on your own. Jesus of Nazareth existed. He's a real man. And any of you that sit there and want to argue with me, you don't, one, you don't actually study history, and two, have you ever asked yourself why you fight so hard to try to prove he's not real? He existed. And he didn't claim to be a good teacher, and he didn't claim to be a good man, and he didn't claim to be uh, Oprah. He claimed to be the Son of God, the Messiah. The way, the truth, and the life. And he says that no one comes to the Father except through him. What does that mean? Well, because we've sinned, we have wrath stored against us. We, we have said, I reject my birthright. I want to be treated like I'm an enemy, not an heir. And so God says, okay, if you don't want to be an heir, I'll treat you like an enemy, which means we've racked up a debt we can't pay, and we have punishment waiting for us. The Bible says that we are storing up wrath for ourselves like a cup, right, being poured, about to be poured on us. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I will stand under that cup. I will take your wrath. I will take it for you. But you have to accept who I am. You have to reject being God, reject being the Father, and come home. And on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth and Jesus Christ, an innocent man, died. That's a fact, too. Here's another fact. There was an eclipse and an earthquake and thing, crazy things happened to prove he was who he said he was. Here's what the Bible says. It doesn't end there. On the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Over 500 people saw him. Y'all believe what the New York Times tells you because one person writes it, but you won't believe when 500 people saw a dead man walking? So what do we do? How do what, Todd, you told me who he is. So God did something. Jesus did something incredible. God, Jesus was God made flesh. He invaded. He says this, I will bring you home. I will change your DNA back to what it was meant to be. You will be my son or my daughter, but you have to do something. But it's not what you think. It's not being good enough in religion. The Bible says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, put it simply, that he is who he said he was. If you confess your sins, God, I know I've done it my way. I'm sorry, Jesus. I accept what you've done. I accept who you are. The Bible says you will be saved. Safe from what? From the wrath. Safe from the debt. Not only does he take all of that and cleanse your record, but then he gives you the benefit, and that's what I've been saying the whole time, of being the heir. You know what I'm saying is right. Those of you that don't know Jesus, you know it. You know how I know? Because I was you. And you got two voices in your head. The voice that's saying, man, what this guy's saying, he's not even a very good speaker and he looks funny. But somehow it's resonating with me. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. And then you got the voice that's telling you all the reasons why you shouldn't do this. <clears throat> Tell that voice to shut up. Don't walk out of here a slave anymore. Walk out of this building today in air. There's going to be people up here willing to pray with you. Whether you're struggling to know who you are, you're hurting, you're broken, you're in shame. 
there's power in prayer. They're here to pray with you. This time is for you and God, for you to respond. But if you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus, friends, listen to me. I was you. I was an adult when I made this decision. It's real. I'm going to end it with that. It's all real. There's people that are willing to pray with me. I'll be wandering around like Batman in Gotham City here. If you want to find me, I'll pray with you, whoever it is. Don't leave here as a slave when you can leave here as an heir. Whatever you do, don't leave the same you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.